You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, how many love our worship team? I just love our worship team. They, they get us into the Word of God. They prepare our hearts, right? They prepare our hearts for the Word of God. They do, they do. Well, Jesus gives, Jesus gives a parable, uh, and a parable is like a story taken from everyday life with a spiritual application. It's a practical, everyday truth that has a spiritual meaning. He gives, he always will give the natural first for the most part, so you can understand and then, then apply that spiritual wisdom that, that will follow. And so uh, in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 9, he begins to tell this parable. And this is what he said. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat on it by the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. He did this often. And in his teaching, uh, he said to them, listen, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up, choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds... Other seeds, though, they fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. And then he said this, he who has ears to hear, let him. Now, it's worthy to note that at the start and conclusion of the parable, he commands the crowd to listen, and at the end of it, to hear, to pay attention. This parable is about dirt, seeds, and how you listen. I wonder if we can pray for just a moment this specific thing, that God would open up our eyes and our ears to his word. Can we do that for a moment? Lord Jesus, we came today, and we came anticipating great things from you. But before we can even see those things, we have to hear your word, and we have to let that land on some good ground. So I pray today that you would open up our eyes, our ears, our body, our being to your word and to your way, that we may be able to live this out, not just today, but on every single day this week and for the rest of our lives. It is a simple prayer, but God, I pray you help us, help our heart receive the word of God today, that we may be able to live it out according to the way you want us to live it out. Honor your word today, please, Jesus. Let every distraction that's in this room be gone so that, so that your word would be effective and it would manifest and it would show flesh in this place. And we say all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, a man feared that his wife wasn't hearing as well as she used to. And he thought she might need a hearing aid. 
If this is you, husbands, do not say amen. Not quite sure how to approach her, he called the family doctor to discuss the problem. The doctor told him uh, there is a simple informal test the husband could perform to give the doctor a better idea about her hearing loss. He says, here's what you do. Stand about 40 feet away from her, and in a normal conversation tone, speaking tone, see if she hears you. If not, go 30 feet, and then 20 feet, and then so on and so forth. So that evening, the wife is in the kitchen cooking dinner, probably fried chicken, which is my favorite. And he was in the den. He said to himself, I'm about 40 feet away. Let's see what happens. Then in a normal tone, he says, honey, what's for dinner? No response. So the husband moved just a little bit closer. Honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. He moves about 20 feet from his wife, and he asks, Honey, what's for dinner? Again, he, he gets no response. So he walked up to the kitchen door about 10 feet away, probably really within earshot. Honey, what's for dinner? Again, no response. So he walked right up to her, right in her ear, and says, Honey, what's for dinner? Now, surely he could smell it by then, but honey, what's for dinner? And then she said, Ralph, for the fifth time, I said chicken. <laughs> you see, our ability to hear matters, doesn't it? And it's incredibly crucial for without it, we cannot listen and act on what we hear. I learned this from my daughter when she was young. She's about two years old. And we, we would tell her, we'd say, you know, you know, before Ezra was, was here, uh, we would say to her, Layla, clean up your toys. She'd be about two years old. And we'd say, hey, I want you to go over there, clean up your toys, go in the room and, and, and clean up your toys. She's about two years old. Yes, we have, we have high expectations. And so she's two years old, go clean up your room. And then we'd go do something else. Well, we were washing dishes, we're getting ready to go. And she would go to her room, but she wouldn't be doing what we asked her to do. And best believe, discipline followed. But then we realized over time that Layla's tubes were not, not properly placed in her ear. So she could not hear certain tones. And so, yes, this dad had to go and apologize to Layla Rose Cole because she's now had five sets of tubes in her ear. And so you just have to ask Layla Rose Cole if it matters or not if you can hear. She'll tell you if you can't hear, you can't follow. If you can't hear, you can't obey. Even at five years old, now six, she can tell you that. We're going to play a game. Play a game. Know this about me. I, I'm a teacher at heart, and so I just want to get every learner in the building to be a part. If you'll stand with me, stand with me, get the blood flowing. We're an apostolic church, which means we get into apostolic aerobics. You know this. And so I just want to make sure we're good. Um, so we're going to play the game. You've played it before. Simon says, uh-huh. Anyone know how to play? Anyone need any instructions? Okay, good. All right. Simon says, wave your left arm. Simon says, raise your right arm. Simon says, if you can, jump one time. 
Simon says, wave your wayness. That's your elbow. Simon says, Simon says, touch your chair. Simon says, touch your hair. I want to rhyme. Simon says, turn around. All right, you got it. You may be seated. But Simon didn't say. You see how some of y'all, see how some of y'all did it there? <laughs> Simon says, you may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. This proves my point, doesn't it? We all struggle with listening and following through accurately, instinctively all the time, which is why the Bible is chock full of reminders to hear and to listen. Bless God. Oh, my. To hear and to listen. And so even right now, we're distracted by what's going on here, but I do need you to hear and listen. Right? Need you to hear and listen. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives his disciples an earful of insight on four separate groups of dirt that tell us the reality of what happens, the reality of what happens when we listen well or when we don't. Today I want to talk to you about the parable about the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower, the seed, and the soil. In more than one account, Jesus is standing on a boat on the shore, most likely because a multitude, more than likely a hundred, if not thousands, were present. It would be to his advantage, really, to be seen at a level everyone could see and also to be heard. But more than likely to be heard, it probably provided a really good acoustics and volume for what he spoke were seeds that would eventually grow. He needed those. He needed to make sure that they heard it. So Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 11, it reads, And when he was alone. So Jesus had just got done telling this parable, and he had gotten alone. So when he was alone, those those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. They wanted to know what it meant. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, I speak to them in parables. So after he spoke to them, the disciples had a desire to understand the parable on a deeper level. They're looking for clarity. They're looking for understanding. They want to grasp the spiritual truth. If you can visualize their request... And sometimes ours, because let's just be honest, we don't always understand everything Jesus has to say. They are essentially asking Jesus either to show them the bridge or build a bridge that takes them from the natural thought to the spiritual one. They're wanting to explain himself further. Their desire is to go from one island, the island of parable, to an island of perspective, if you will. And with that, a new spiritual perspective. They have been left on this somewhat cliffhanger with hearts that were hungry. So here's a key principle that you have to understand. When we are hungry and humble, God gives us a harvest of spiritual wisdom. Say that again. When we're hungry and humble, plus plus, God gives us a harvest in spiritual wisdom. We know this because Jesus' character says those that 
hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. They'll be filled. God will give them filled. Saved is saved is good too. But what does Jesus mean by those outside and inside the kingdom? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a puzzling statement. This puzzling statement from Jesus at the end of verse 12, which we just read, based on the context of what has happened just before, according to Mark's gospel, of what Jesus means as outsiders, he's talking about the Pharisees. Simply put, those on the outside refuse to hear or follow Jesus because their hearts are not right or ready to receive what Jesus has to say about his kingdom. Those on the inside refer to the disciples. These are the group that have responded positively to the kingdom and his word. Now, parables are understandable to them because their hearts are open. This is important to understand. In God's kingdom, that being Jesus on the throne, the condition of the heart determines the capacity for understanding. This is a kingdom principle. This is a kingdom principle. Mark chapter 4, verse 12, he continues, So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus pulls from the prophet Isaiah to provide clarity. He's talking about He's talking about a group of people whose heart was not right or ready to receive it. Paul uses this same concept on the, on the same type of people when he is attempting to preach the gospel and convince others about Jesus. He's trying to compel them to follow. Now, Paul is the sower here in this context. We read it in Acts chapter 28. That's what it reads. When they had appointed a day... For him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. He was getting ready to speak. And so from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. This is what we do, right? We're trying to convince people about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And the Bible says, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves... They departed after Paul had made this one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but you'll never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Before I go to that last verse, who turned off their ears? The, the people turned off their ears. Who closed their eyes? The people turned off their eyes. The Bible says in verse 28 then, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. It's not that these outsiders are denied belief. It's simply that they are denied any further spiritual insight into the kingdom as long as unbelief continues. Jesus was also inviting the hearers, including us, to dig a little deeper to find the truth. For instance, Jesus talks to a group of Pharisees and he says, go and learn what this means. 
It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. It's not on the screen. But he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I, I did not call the righteous, but the sinners. He's offering the hearers to search deeper with the words he has spoken. But again, if it's met with hunger and humility, it will organically, pun intended, produce a harvest. Then we go to Mark chapter 4, verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? This, is, this next verse right here is what clinches it. How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus makes a statement quite direct about this particular parable. I wouldn't consider it a hierarchy of parables, if you will, but a statement that tells that this parable is foundational to understanding the rest of the parables. He's saying if you can't understand this one, it's going to be really difficult to hear and near impossible to grasp the others. Consider this parable, or better yet, the practice and application of this parable. Consider this like a key that unlocks all other parables. Jesus is saying that if the heart, that is the soil, is unreceptive, it's not ready, it's not right to receive this parable, then any attempt to understand anything outside of this parable will be futile, pointless, fruitless. So that means it's pretty incredible for us to grasp what it is Jesus is explaining to his disciples at this moment. So he begins in Mark chapter 4, verse 14. He's pretty simple. The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. The seed that the sower sows is the word. Now, imagine the incredible might and promise packed into a single seed. Picture that teensy-wincy dot like something out of Horton Hears a Who by Dr. Seuss. That incy-bigty seed holds within it a master plan for a whole plant or tree. From its roots to its trunk to branches to leaves, blossoms, and even delicious fruits. And the science that goes along with it all cleverly stashed away inside that small seed. The blueprints of everything that seed will represent, give, and produce. Just all you have to do is add some dirt, some water, and some sunshine, and voila, you've got something pretty miraculous. The seed, the word of God, the Bible remains the same. It's a natural truth and concept that Jesus is using to grasp a spiritual one. The difference is the condition of the dirt. Humans... Us, we are dirt. We are dirt. We are made from dirt, and God can do great things with dirt. God said that he formed man in, in the dirt and the dust of the ground, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. But it's humbling. It is humbling and helpful to remember that we are but dust. Just dust. Many passages in scriptures serve as helpful reminders that we are but dust, formed and fashioned by the very word of God in the beginning and even now, formed in the right conditions, has the potential to produce the very character and qualities of God. Well, what are those? I'm glad you asked. That is the fruit of the Spirit. 
This is what Pastor Gary was alluding to this last couple of weeks when he was talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. If you're here in person or online and you have not heard that two-week series, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. We experienced that teaching made manifest this past Wednesday when we saw the gifts of God's Spirit in operation. So the gifts of God's Spirit is God's character. It's worthy to note that it's by the preaching and teaching and reading of God's word that the seed is sown. Like any seed, when it is planted, something is bound to happen. Whenever the gospel is preached, something does happen. It, something does happen. There is no neutral response to the gospel or the word preached. The parable puts everyone in a category. It puts everyone in a group. And yes, everyone in this room is in a group. It takes away all ambiguity. It shies away from being vague. You can't leave listening to this parable tonight without, with uncertainty, not knowing which group you fall in or what category you fall under. And he begins the first category in Mark chapter 4, verse 15. And he says, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes the word, takes away the word that is sown in them. This is group number one. We might call this the hard-hearted group. This dirt is just hard. It's on the wayside. A place where people walked on all the time and beat it down into a path or road. It's hard hearts and closed ears. Satan just picks them off. This group of individuals drive into church, smile when they're greeted at the door, shake a few hands, dress prim and proper, and plop down on a church pew. Hear the word of God preached passionately, directly, clearly, and soaked with anointing and power, with signs even to follow. But after the, after the word has been spoken, that's more than likely the last time they will mull it over in their mind. This group has no desire to meditate and chew on the contents of the word of God spoken over them. The psalmist shares what it looks like when you do, which compares to group four, which we'll get to shortly. But the psalmist holds up a mirror to this group by sharing what it looks like when a group of people actually meditate on the word of God. They chew it up as food for thought. And then the thought gets caught in the heart, and eventually the thought becomes a way of life that becomes produced over time. It's found in Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says about this man or woman, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he, they meditate, they think about it, they chew it up, they, 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 try to, they try to gain more understanding day and night. The Bible says that they, he, he relates this person to a tree. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. See, group one, they have no root, so nothing keeps them. Now, is this group... That has a hardened heart and closed ears. Are they evil? Are they wicked? It sounds harsh, doesn't it? The answer to that question depends on how you 
how you view the entirety of Scripture. Often when another group called the Israelites or the children of Israel in the Old Testament refused to listen, God's emotions were never that of glee and excitement. No one's is. Everyone wants to be listened to. Everyone wants to be heard. Rather, he was more disappointed, more than disappointed, but angry that they would not hear and obey what he had to say. We can make this assumption about this group. This seed doesn't land well, if at all. It doesn't go deep-rooted in their hearts. In fact, if you can visualize when the seed hits the soil, that is their heart. It literally lands on the surface. It, enters, it never enters the doorway of their heart. It doesn't penetrate. The sheep-herding prophet Hosea speaks to this behavior of a hard heart toward God. And how he speaks of how uncomfortable and how hard it is for someone in this group to change their behavior and be moved again by the word of God. It's found in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground simply means it's, it's ground that's been unplowed. It's ground that hasn't been stirred. It's ground that hasn't been moved for a while. He's saying, you're going to have to stir that up. You're going to have to till that up a little bit. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Group one, we should understand that Satan does not want the word of God deep-rooted in our heart. The Bible says like a bird, he snatches the seed before it ever takes root and has real significant impact on their life. This is the preferred result, though he can work with other groups, and he does. This is the first welcome scenario. He wants to make sure that God's word never has a chance to form and become fruitful in this group's life. This group does not listen well. When the word of God is sown, when the living word is spoken over them, they might even throw stones, just asked Stephen, a disciple chosen by the apostles to do the ministry of the gospel. After he finished preaching and attempting to sow seed to those listening to him, share the gospel. It's found in Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, thank God, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They chose. They chose. I'm not listening anymore. I don't want to hear anymore. And rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Not to get too far in that story, off in that story, but it's, it's worthy to make mention that even though the seed that Stephen planted fell on deaf ears and closed hearts, there's a man named Saul, as we know now as Paul who heard the word spoken that day. That word eventually would reap a harvest as he would become a dynamic apostle, missionary, and disciple for God. It does take time for the seed to grow. Jesus goes on to share another group of soil. We can call this group the shallow group. 
found in Mark chapter 4, verse 16, as we continue to go down. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You see, you'll, you'll rarely see a, a tree growing in a sidewalk crack. And if you have, look closely. It's not as deep-rooted and has the potential to be uprooted given the right conditions. It won't last. Some people get very excited in a church service, but they won't let the word of God penetrate when following Jesus gets difficult. They simply walk. This group, this group with this behavior will be the first one to applaud and shout, amen, preach it, that's it, say it again, bet you won't. They're, they're the ones that are, that are clapping up, and I, I'm all for that. I do that. <laughs> that's me. That's why I'm so good at it, you see. They're intently listening to the seed being dropped in their spirit, but when times get hard, you know, like the Monday after Sunday, or the Thursday after Wednesday, or the Bible study, it's now time to apply the word that is sown in their heart, but they disregard the commitment and devotion when times get hard. When it's time to apply the word of God, the seed planted into service, maybe a Bible study, a Bible quizzing, conference, camp, convention, it just withers away. They walk away from following the concept and principle brought to them by hearing a word spoken into their heart. This happens in Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 6, we hear, we, we read, Jesus is giving them a really hard saying. He's talking about his body and his blood, and it's really gory. If you just, at face value, it's really hard to really understand what he's trying to say. And when as many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Who can listen to this? And then in verse 63, it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then after he had said all those things, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Following Jesus is synonymous with following his word. They go together. People left that day. Because the commitment got too hard. This, this group of Christians have very little root in themselves. Their root might be their parents, their friends, or even their pastor. Or they'll lean on an atmosphere created in a thriving apostolic church called Refuge to be their anchor. And I don't mean to be rude. I simply mean to be clear. We might call this the COVID group. This group is only rooted if the church doors are open, the band is playing in the right key, the preacher's mic doesn't feed back too much, and the words on the screen are timed perfectly to follow along. Charles Spurgeon said this about this group. Then there are many more whose religion must be sustained by enthusiastic surroundings. They seem to have been baptized in boiling water. And unless, unless the temperature around them is kept up at that point, at that temperature, they wither away. The religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. This group is sustained by conferences, camps, and conventions alone. 
But the word never dies deep enough for them to flesh out the word of God for themselves to produce fruit that mirror Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that same word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His word is always supposed to manifest something. Upon obedience to the word of God and his plan of salvation, being baptized in Jesus' name and being filled with the spirit by the evidence of speaking in another language, you'll you'll have the evidence of God's gift. Gifts of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit, it will produce. Jesus knew that many have an immediate favorable reaction to the word of God, but they give it up quickly when it becomes difficult to follow him. Notice this in this passage that Jesus compares the sunshine to persecution and trouble or tribulations, which is interesting because if we know anything about photosynthesis, sunshine is, for, is good for healthy trees. When it gets hot and healthy, the tree digs deeper roots and finds deeper water. Just ask the psalmist in chapter one. Trials are like the sunshine. They knock out shallow faith but strengthen the roots of healthy believers. Paul wrote to the Roman and Corinthian churches that tribulation and troubles actually produce something. I can't believe he says this, but I understand. It's hard to do it while you're in it. But he says, not only that, in verse 5, verse, thank you. He he says, not only that, but we rejoice in suffering. Excuse me? Come again? We rejoice in suffering, knowing this. He, wants, he gives us a reason why. Knowing this, that the suffering of our faith, it produces something. It produces endurance. And then after endurance, it produces character. And after character, it produces hope. This is why we say at Refuge, we experience hope, and then we can offer hope. This is the heartbeat of Refuge Church. We believe that if you experience the word of God, the hope of glory, and follow after Jesus, you will be able to offer that same hope to others. In other words, you can say, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. But because I followed the word of God back then, you can watch me grow in maturity now. So Jesus continues to explain the next group. Mark chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. We'll just call this group the thornies. The thornies. This group is the worry warts. Can't even say it. Worry warts or the busy group. Anybody know those people? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> the problem here is not below ground, though. It's above ground. The heart may be in good condition, but life is just too crowded. They enjoy the message at church. They, they just got too busy to go back or they got involved with stuff. They just had no room to obey. This is a deep-rooted issue that Jesus is illustrating. In just a few seconds, if you'll put that on the screen, Matt Damon begins to talk about a trophy, uh, a prize that he was planning on getting, uh, and I'll let him explain. Go ahead. 
I couldn't sleep. I, I was just kind of still buzzing and, yeah. and was sitting there. And I remember very clearly looking at that award and, um, and, and thinking very, very clearly. And I, I suddenly had this kind of thing wash over me where I thought, imagine chasing that and not getting it and getting it finally in your 80s or your 90s with all of life behind you and realizing what an unbelievable waste of your, you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it can't, it's got to be, you know what I mean? It's not, it, it, it can't be good it, enough. It, right. Mm, it yeah. can't fill you up. It will never, if that's a hole that you have, that won't fill it. I couldn't sleep. I, I was just kind of still buzzing yeah. and, and was sitting there. And I remember very clearly looking at that award and... Um, and so even someone like Matt Damon, who has done so many things, realizes that stuff just will not satisfy. The thorns are the worries, wealth, and plan, and plain desire of other stuff. Not sin, just stuff. You see, the word of God grows there, but so does everything else. And at the same speed and same volume. This group has its sights on other things, including the Word of God. This group has its desire in other places. The Word of God is just as important and as influential as other stuff. This group has yet to sing the song, this song, in their hearts. They don't know it. If they did, peace would come over and the cares of this world would just fall away. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. They don't know that song, but even Matt Damon in this world recognizes that the stuff never satisfies. But how deceiving it can be for the thornies to assume that they are okay. But eventually the priorities of other things will be what is produced instead of the word of God. And it'll be a mixed bag of stuff that when they look inside, they will be rather disappointed in what they see. Remember when I started on my weight loss journey in Mount Vernon, Ohio, I uh, went to the YMCA and I would go in and I would, you know, I would do the stuff. I would pushing it, pushing it, pushing, get on the treadmill. And you know, when you first go, you don't know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, but you're just going. You're just trying stuff out. You're going in there. And I remember at the end of each, at the end of each workout, I'd go downstairs in, in the locker room, and I'd look at the mirror. And i say, not where you were, but you're not where you're supposed to be. You're, you're, you're not where you were. I'm not where, I'm, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I'm, where I'm supposed to be. And so I would say that over and over and over again. But there is this, there's, in gym culture, if you go to the gym, there's gym culture. You just didn't know. But most people go at the same time. They go at their same time. And so you meet the same group of people. 
right? Meet the same group of people. And so my time was like 4.30, 4.45 when the gym, gym opened up. And these were like, the, these were the dedicated people, right? You know, coming up, oh, I'm coming, coming up. Uh, and I, they're just wiping off the, you know, the, the, the sleep off their eyes. And they're just, you know, they're getting it. But I, I had been in Mount Vernon and I had been at this gym for two or three years. And I remember that as I was, you know, working out and being consistent, I was doing everything I was supposed to do, I, I would go into the gym, and I, I was seeing, you know, gradual change. But then I'd see people that's been there every day, and they look the same. They look the exact same way that I saw them three years ago. But then they'd ask me, they'd say, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I'm, I'm here every single day. But what was happening is what they were doing afterwards is that they would go to the gym and then they'd waste it all away. They'd have a 15 pound burger and they'd just wash it away and say, you know what, I'm gonna, and I used to do this, I used to do this all the time. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna work out so I can eat whatever I want. I would, I would. But then I can tell that some of them got frustrated that they were seeing the progress of others but the cares, but they would go home and eat junk when they got home. The thorny group come to service, come into contact with hearing the word. They express a desire to follow. But after the spiritual experience, after it's over, everything that was preached just gets thrown away and they'll eat other things outside of it. I can go down a list, but I won't. They'll eat junk. They'll go home and eat junk. They look into the mirror and they do not see the changes they anticipate yet will pour endless hours in the gym, endless hours here at the church with nothing to show for it. To me, this group of soil is hard to watch and witness because their fervor, their passion, and their desire is there, but it is not prioritized as it should be. They watch others grow up in Christ in maturity and wish they were them, and then they get frustrated when their results aren't what it's supposed to be. I know this because I've been there. Frustrated that spiritually I, I should be further than I am right now, but I knew that I had not really let the word of God penetrate like it should. I hadn't really landed on good soil. Had the cares of this world in my mind, heart, and soul, and I looked up and realized that none of it mattered, and the seed that God was planting was more important. This is why he shares the reality of the good soil in Mark chapter 4, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil, those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. Some of them 30-fold, some of them 60-fold, and some of them 100-fold. This group does not compare either. They grow at their own pace. The 30-fold is not looking at the 100-fold and saying, I wish I were them. No, they're just growing gradually. They're not, they're not comparing. This is the good dirt. It's just dirt, though. Just a simple human heart, soft enough to let the seed in with some depth to grow, with some roots below, and the junk cleared out for the tree to sprout out below, up above. Once it grows, though, that tree starts to produce fruit like love, goodness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering. And inside that fruit, guess what it's produced? More seeds for new plants. It's the sciencey stuff that I really don't know. Seeds are fascinating. Think about it. And I don't entirely understand the entire process of photosynthesis, but it's remarkable. A tiny seed developing into something way beyond its original dimensions, but pre-designed to fulfill a purpose and produce something. But the one major factor that hinders its growth is the type of soil. 
We don't have to fully understand the process for the process for the process to work. We come with a heart ready to receive, ready to hear, and then we allow the word of God to work by obeying that very word, hearing it by faith. So we know that the word faith comes by hearing, and not hearing by the word of God. This parable shows that the word is received as it should be. If it's received as it should be, something happens. Fruit is produced. If nothing happens, then the word is not being received as it should with a humble and hungry heart. After Jesus finished explaining, and by explain, I mean he made the word of God plain to them. The word of God shouldn't be so far over our heads that we don't understand. He made the word of God plain. He got on their level and said, hey, this is what it means. Mark 4, 23 says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, here it is. Pay attention to what you hear. With what measure you meet it or use it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. We can take this verse one of two ways. One is that everyone has ears, and you should just listen up. The other angle is that only those who have a God-given spiritual insight can really grasp the message. But the second idea clicks with what Jesus earlier explained about why he teaches using parables. But the first lines up with the better, that's his main message, that he calls everyone, everywhere, no matter who you are, where you are, to respond with faith and then obedience. It, work, it just works out this way. To the one who has no interest in the gospel, the word of God preached or taught, the preaching of the gospel seems uninteresting. Not necessary, not a priority. To the one who wants to find fault with the church or the preacher, they'll find plenty of faults. You'll hear what you want to hear. On the other hand, those who come hungry get filled. And those who want the solid truth receive something from the ministry of the sower, whoever that may be, and they'll get filled with more. More desire to hear and more understanding of what they want, what they hear. So Jesus reminds us that this spiritual growth follows momentum. Everyone say momentum. Positive or negative. When we have godly habits of receiving the word of God and living it out, more is built on that. When we lose those godly habits, they are extremely difficult to get back. Remember, take heed what you hear for however you meet it. However you hear it, however you apply it, it will be built upon those things. So here's the truth. If your heart is not ready or right to hear the truth, it won't land well, and you won't completely understand. Originally, this parable is titled the parable of the sower, but it could be rightly named the parable of the soils. Though there is a responsibility on both sides, one, the sower must sow, and the soil must be conditioned to grow. But the seed, the word of God, remains the same and stands forever. The challenge for us from the spirit of the living God is this. Does the word go in one ear and out the other? Does the word of God get drowned out by the circumstances of our lives? 
does the word of God penetrate deep enough for us to act or move on? Or does the stuff take over and it become less conviction and more convenience? In this same chapter, Mark records, I believe on purpose, a story to illustrate listening, following, trust, and obeying that they're tied hand in hand with our faith because the soil matters, the heart matters, how the word of God lands matters. And I'm almost finished. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Listen well. Listen well. On that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. This is the exact same day he talks to them about the soil. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one, one another, Who then is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Jesus told them, We are going to pass over to the other side. But did the disciples hear? I believe this is why Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. Because faith does come by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And the word of God sown in your heart. And obeying that word is what produces the faith. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Even the winds and seas obey him. Ultimately, hearing the word of God will lead to fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness is evidence of our obedience to him. Even the winds and seas do this. In John's revelation, he writes in, John, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 22, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We need to hear the word of God until the ground of our hearts today. Plow up that fallow ground that Hosea had talked about. Creation heard his voice on that boat. He spoke peace to the wind, and the wind obeyed. God is pretty biased to his word. He actually thinks that what he says should come to pass. The Bible lets us know that the word of God is it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and the intents of the heart. The word of God is that powerful. But here's the kicker. It all depends on the condition of the soil. See, and so what does that look like? What do we mean by that? How do we get our hearts prepared? How do we, how do we stir this up? Well, our liturgy or, or our schedule of service kind of does that for us. 
we do this on purpose. We don't, we don't do anything in a church service just for happenstance. We're doing this to make sure that when the word of God gets deposited, it actually is effective. So what do we do? We come in here and we begin to worship the Lord. We'll have two, maybe three songs. And if we're feeling really spiritual, we'll go four. We'll go four. And then, and then what that does is it's trying to open up your heart, which is why you must participate in that part of the service. You have to participate. And then the next part is the sermon is preached. And if the sermon's not preached, most of the time it will be, but the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, God will speak and he'll say more than what Pastor Gary can say in 60 minutes and 30 seconds. But either way, God will speak. And then after that, we go home. No, we respond to that word. We respond to that word. But that's the first part because here's the thing. It can be deceiving. I know what happens. We do it all the time. I'm going to sit behind you. I can't really see it. That's a lie. I can see it. <clears throat> but we, we hear the word of God, and then it's, it can be deceiving. He'll say, we'll say, if you all stand, we'll all stand. And then we'll go up here, and we'll all come to the altar. And this is the first part. This is the first part. Then we'll, then we'll pray, and we'll shed tears about it, for real. Real, I mean, we'll, we'll shout and dance, and ain't nobody can shout and dance outside of this room. Maybe James Chester can outshout me. But, I'm, but, we'll, but we'll, 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 we'll shout and dance, and we'll, and we'll respond to the Word of God. We will. We'll respond to the Word of God. But that's the first part. I'll tell you a story, because God is looking for the second part, for when you get your knees off of that altar, you actually go home and do what he asked you to do. I'll tell you a story. Tell your story. Stand with me. Tell your story. I learned this the hard way. I was in my mentor's home, and it was back in the back in the moment where he could not always attend church. So we would listen to a man by the name of Paul Mooney, and we would listen to him, and we would listen to him preach. And I remember he was preaching this message: "There's somebody you ought to thank. Somebody you ought to thank." And he goes down this, Paul Mooney's master for telling. He tells a story of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's grandson, I believe, and how, how David comes and he, he compels this grandson to come to the table. And, and he's talking about this. And at the end of the message, Paul Mooney does not ask people to come to the front to respond because it's not one of those messages where you come to the front and respond. He actually says, all right, now in this room, Let's heed the word of God. There's somebody you ought to thank. Won't you go find four or five people to go thank? If you know anything about my mentors, one of them is in this room. They have done a lot for me. And even up to that point, they had done a lot for me. And so he closed the laptop, and I thought, yeah, I, I felt like I was, that was good. I, that was a good word. <laughs> Great word. And... We started talking, everything was good, but there was a silent moment on purpose. They were doing it on purpose. And then I left. The next time I came in, you know what he said to me? Brother Gavin, do you, do you think you hear from God? Do you think you know his voice? I said, well, yes, sir, I do. He says, no, you don't. Because when word of God came forth, even if it was from a laptop, you did not heed that word and obey. And God smote me right then and there. 
And immediately, he was not asking for thanks. He really wasn't. He just wanted to see if I would heed the word of God that was actually preached not only seconds before. He wasn't asking me to respond with tears. He he wanted me to respond with obedience. And from that point forward, that point forward, I never stood foot, I never stepped foot in an altar in a place where I'd get up and I wouldn't do it. So God has given us plenty of words here at Refuge, plenty of promises here at Refuge. But you know what he's waiting for? For us to step into it. But he won't let us step into it. You hear me? He will not let you step into it until your heart is ready. You know what he told me? He will not, he will not till the ground for you. That is only something you can do. So just like one minister came in here and told us before, what is it going to take to move you? God, we come boldly before you now and we we humbly and with the right heart we 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 want to break up this follow ground so we come to you now and say not only in this place will we respond but when we leave 1315 Nashua Road we will step into what you've called us to do we we want it the word of God to land on good soil so so we come now and we break up that fallow ground we we want the word of God to be planted right in good good soil so so right now we we come holy humbly before you with knees bowed and hearts open God break it up break it up I pray you break it up break it up let us pray until it lifts pray pray until God our hearts are ready to receive what you have for us you will not take us to another place you will not take us to another dimension you will not give us more spiritual insight until we have good soil and so that way God we come before you now and say God we're sorry help our hearts be ready hearts and ears to be open to receive God, please honor your word as the word of God has been deposited on good soil today. I pray that some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold would come today. Today, God, and as seasons would come, I pray maturity would come. And as maturity would come, you can trust us with more. You can trust us with a bigger harvest. You can trust us with more disciples. You can trust us, but God, help us plow the ground.